You know, last week we ended uh, uh, talking about this idea of the, the high priest uh, renting their clothes. The context implies in anger, that they're not to give themselves to anger. And uh, we, we actually see Caiaphas, the high priest, in front of Jesus violating that very law. When, he, when Jesus made that declaration of who he was, being the son of God and a king and all that, it tells us that he rent his clothes, but that was in anger. Uh, that wasn't because he had a broken heart. And as we fast forward that thought into the New Testament, we see sort of like the same requirement for an overseer or for uh, an elder that he's not to give himself uh, to anger or to actually, um, he's not to be a brawler. Now, I'm not talking about sports. That, that, that gives me a way out. I mean, I love MMA and all that stuff, so it's... That's all in the name of love. <laughs> but he's not to be uh, even quarrelsome. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. Uh, so that's in check. It's not saying we might not have that emotion from time to time. There's a lot of things that get me angry. Uh, just, just to remind by the Holy Spirit that, you know, I can't react. You know, you can be angry, but sin not is what the Bible tells us. Um, we see Ezra tearing his clothes when he heard of intermarrying with the pagan. It bumped him out so badly that he rent his clothes. We, um, we see it a few times um, uh, in the Old Testament, as well as Paul the Apostle, if we had to look in the New Testament, when they wanted to almost worship the guy for, because of some miraculous thing that happened. And he had to remind them that he was just flesh like them, no different. And so we move into a cha- a verse 13 and still talking about the high priest. We're talking Old Testament stuff. There are some personal applications. There's things that are applicable to um, a minister, a pastor, deacon. We'll touch on that as we make our way through it. He says he, referring to the priest, shall... Take a wife in her virginity, um, a widow, a divorced woman, profaned, a harlot. These shall he not take, uh, but he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Neither shall he profane his seed or his descendants among his people. And the reason for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. I, I've made the priesthood different. I separated, set apart the priesthood to be different. And so we see that the priests, when they served, they had stringent um, requirements and accountability. They were going to be held accountable. Uh, Their private life uh, had to be pure. Um, Their private and public life had to be um, pure, had to be protected. Um, He talks about the taking on a mate, taking on a wife, that he had to consider who he's marrying. Um, He didn't want any backlash that might jeopardize his position as the high priest. And again, moving or fast forwarding into the New Testament, um, it's applicable for us all, not just those that are ministers, but I think it's more so for the servant, the minister, that he would be equally yoked with his mate. Remember, passion, power, and a partner. We talked about that last week. And so if a man or a woman's called into the service for Jesus, that he's going to be set apart like the high priest, that he is not going to just have, you know, um, a private life. Listen, any, anybody goes into the ministry, you can just forget about that. Your, your life is an open book. And I think that's the way God wants it. You know, and uh, so you need to protect it. You don't want to ever be disqualified. You don't want to take on an unsaved wife that has a history. I'm not saying that can't happen, uh, but the caution, you know, especially for those that are called into the ministry. 
Paul gave stipulations. We looked at that in 1 Timothy chapter 13, or chapter 3, the first 13 verses. But we just honed in on um, the overseer, and that would be equivalent to a pastor. But if you read a little further than the seven or eight verses there in 1 Timothy, it, it, it would say, and likewise, the deacon. And so there's stringent uh, requirements, even for a deacon. And someone say, I'll take the lower road, I'll become a deacon, and it's not that heavy. Well, there's some heavy things that even a deacon had to consider if he was going to serve the Lord. And I'll give you a few of them, just um, if you're praying about it. Um, He's got to be well-respected. And, you know, he's got to be not just respected in the church, but in the community. He's got to have a good name. I'm not saying he's got to have a good past. (laughs) That disqualifies a lot of us, you know. I'm not going to throw out my dirty laundry, but I remember (laughs) when I was getting uh, sworn in as a police officer in order to keep my chaplaincy status, the chief of police said, we're going to have to do a background check. And I went, oh, boy. I said, how far does that go back? And he goes, why? Should, is there something I should know? And I, I just kind of looked at him. He went, never mind. You know, it's funny. All he said was, we can make it work. Don't worry. And so, sure enough, after I got the word to come in to the council meeting to be sworn in, you didn't know I was a cop, did you? So I can, I can marry you, bury you, and arrest you. So don't mess with me. But, um, you know, I'm a class one. It's, it's a glorified crossing guard is all it is. But um, when, they, when they swore me in, I, I went up to the chief and I said, this is for real. He goes, yeah. I said, what about that? And he goes, don't ask. I said, okay. <laughs> but he's got to have a good reputation. He's got to be committed to the mysteries of salvation. In other, words, in other words, he needs to know how it all works. That we're saved through faith, uh, by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. He's got a handle on that. He's not a legalist. You know, he's not laying a trip on somebody. Um, must have a clear conscience. Well, how can you have a clear conscience if you've got a bad pay- a past? Well, to know that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And you should all know that. I hope I'm preaching to the choir. I hope there is therefore now, how much? No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you are dealing with a bad past, a history, and you're beating yourself over it, I want to talk with you. Because you're, you're forgiven. Give me a fat amen. Get me out of this. Thank you. I'm an emotional wreck today. Jeez Louise. I don't know who Louise is, but I like leaning on her. Um, not only are they going to be uh, have a clear conscience, but they're going to—they have to know they're going to be examined. And um, this is all taken out of First uh, Timothy. Uh, and then they have to know that there's going to be a test, and they got to pass it. I don't mean written, not at all. And uh, they they got to demonstrate uh, self-control. they got to be a one-woman man. And uh, it doesn't mean you, you, you've never been divorced, just the one you're with. That's it. Amen, guys? Love the one you're with. Um, he's got to be able to manage his wife, manage his children. And, uh, again, he's got to have uh, the respect of others. So... I'll I'll be honest with you, guys. Um, Even as a pastor, um, somebody that's taken on that that, that gift and calling, the Bible says, you know, we shouldn't desire that gift unless you're really called because to those that have been given, much will be required. And I will stand before God and give an account. And that's a little sobering to me. That's why I take what I do very serious. And sometimes I'm heavy and... You know, it's, uh, you know, you don't hear that too often where a minister's saying, I got to stand before God on your behalf. And so, um, what I don't know, I just don't know. I don't try to act like I do. And I'd say we're all pantheologists. When we get to heaven, all the doctrine, the theology will all pan out. So, I just want to make sure you guys are getting there. 
Anyway, um, going back to Leviticus here, um, again, he's got to be careful of, the, of, of who he picks. He's got to be devoted to his family. Verse 16, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron's saying that whosoever he be of thy seed, descendants, in their generation that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. Let me read down to 24 and I'll, I'll interpret all this for you. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach blind, lame, a flattened nose. Sorry, guys, if you have been in boxing. Uh, any, anything superfluous or a man that is um, broken footed, he has a limp. Or broken handed. Crook back, it literally means hunched back or dwarf. Or that has a blemish in the eye. And there's something wrong with his eyesight. A scurvy would, would be eczema, uh, with scabs, has a, his stone broken, it means a eunuch. No man that has a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He has a blemish, and he shall not come nigh to offer the bread of, of his God. Now, do you see why it's so important to study? One would read that and you would think, oh my goodness, some of us have that cauliflower ear thing going on and some of us have our nose broken. In fact, I did have my nose broken. I want to thank one of my elders here. I literally did. I had the top of my nose always over here. This was in the 90s and I was grappling and he accidentally kicked me in the nose and straightened it right out. True story. Ask Paul Cummings. You ask him. I looked like Rocky the, uh, Rocky the raccoon for a while, but he straightened my nose out. So I could stay in the mid. No, don't believe that. But anyway, it says, He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Now only he shall go, not go into, in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, and that he profane not my sanctuary. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Moses told it unto Aaron, to his sons, to all his children of Israel. If you'll notice there, there's kind of, well, there's 12 physical abnormalities there uh, dealing with feet and hands and toes. And, and um, in fact, um, it was well accepted and, and, and well uh, maybe practiced that even um, everyone knew that. If a high priest became marred or he became disfigured for some for some reason, then that would put him outside of practicing. Now, this is where you need to listen. Practicing the rituals. Practicing like he could not participate in the acts of worship. Now, he's still in the priesthood. And he's able to go to the dinner and have the sacrificed meats together. For like, uh, let's see, it was the, um, the sacrifice of meal and the sacrifice of peace. Those two, they were allowed to eat some of it. And they could participate in the meal. But when it came to that role of a high priest, they could not have anything visible, any defects that, that were obvious. In other words, when you, looked at, when you looked at the high priest, you would just look at a perfect individual. From the outer garments that they would be wearing with the ephod and the stones and the, and the turban that says holiness unto the Lord. Then you look at his face, his complexion. He, he's just a perfect individual. Now, of course, when we fast forward into the New Testament, we know that that's not a requirement. You know, that you have to be. Now, why? Now, now you might want to jot that down because there are some things in the Bible that we would call a prophetic picture. And I know something in the future needs to look like this or resemble this. Well, you know, the, the, the Passover lamb. What, what, they were to take this Passover lamb. It had to be a Yule lamb. And then they would take it into the residence, right, of your home with your children, your spouse. And that thing would be examined for four days. Scrutinized every night. Dad's combing through its hair, looking for some kind of... Uh, of imperfection. And if he found one, he wouldn't have to go and search for another. He could not present 
something that was deformed or uh, something not perfect and then say, this is going to be my Passover sacrifice. Couldn't do it. It's got to have a picture of something perfect, a a prophetic picture. Well, we have a high priest, and is he not perfect? He's perfect. Uh, First Peter says he's a, a lamb without blemish at all. He was perfect as a sacrifice lamb. He was per- perfect. In fact, he says in John, everything the Father has asked me to do and I have done it and he is pleased. He was perfect. Perfect. Now, you look at Paul the Apostle, New Testament hero to many of us. We know that he's hunched back. Mannerisms and customs says he's hunched back. He's got this kind of hooked nose because it's been broken so many times. He's been stoned to death. He speaks with a squeaky voice. This is Paul the Apostle. You look at this guy and you would think, he can't be the man of the hour. Look at him. And what, what is God's desire? To use the what? Weak and the foolish. So, he's saying to them there that you need... To be on guard. And if there's anything that could disqualify you from this position, some type of physical, uh, some kind of defect, then, um, you know, they, they believed in this so much that there's a thing called the intertestamental period, and that's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And somewhere around A.D., uh, not A.D., but um, um, uh, 40 B.C., somewhere in that time, before Christ, before the New Testament, there was a, an emperor who just did not like the high priest, Hierocantus. And so he decided just to take off Hierocantus' ears. And he knew that if he did that, that he would not be used for the rest of his life as a high priest. So why, though? I mean, other than it's a picture of Christ. Why is God so adamant about this perfect person? Well, I, one of the reasons is because of the first impression. You know, just, just the visible things, they do exert strong impressions, don't they? The first time you look at something. In fact, um, my... I would call him my grandfather in the faith, Pastor Chuck, used to tell a lot of us when we first started out as pastors, when your visitors come, their first impression will be their last. So if someone's coming and they're visiting and they just walk into chaos, well, that's what they're going to see. That's what they're going to think of the church. If they come in and, and they're not greeted by happy and Friendly greeters, you know, they're going to turn around and not come back. Well, they're just unfriendly. And the whole rest of the church could just be grand, you know. But the first impression, and that's what God was saying here. The first impression of this high priest needs to be a prophetic picture of a man who's coming in the future. That's going to be the perfect priest and the perfect lamb who will die for our sins. And that's how God wants to... um, Uh, for them to see the priest. Also, the priest had to be strong. He had to be strong. And that's something about Christ. You know, some of this artwork that I see about Jesus, I don't buy it. First of all, he wasn't Irish. Did you ever see some of these pictures? You know, he's he's going up to heaven with Boy Scout sign. Any of you guys been Boy? Did you ever notice he's doing that? And he just looks like this, you know, light hair, Irish-looking kind of, do you know what Jesus did for a living, man, before he went into his public ministry? He was a carpenter. And, man, when you were a carpenter in biblical days, man, you didn't run down to Home Depot. I mean, we're cutting down trees. You're hewing them yourself. You're carrying lumber on your shoulder. I think if I looked at Jesus' hands before they were pierced, that they would, be, they would look rugged. I really do. And I think his skin on his face was windburned. And I think he had dark hair. And I just think he was a man's man. He was strong, and yet he was so tender. He wasn't afraid. He was, he was fearless. And yet he was so tender with children, 
with a prostitute, with a woman with issue of bread, um, blood, calling her little lamb. If you look it up in the Greek, he calls her little lamb. Little lamb. Yeah, I don't buy some of the pictures today. But um, he was a physical guy. Um, you know, what we see in Christ is someone who, of course, he was gifted. And, um, and he was gifted not just naturally as a carpenter, but spiritually as the son of God. And, and I want to go down a little rabbit trail, if I, I can, just for a second. Uh, it's, I, I'll keep it in the context, but the, the gifts and callings are without repentance. And that means that every one of you, no matter what your age is, that the God has a calling on your life. And he wants to perfect that. But do you know where that started at? Do you want to know? It started probably when you didn't even realize it, that you might have had some talent that you just thought, oh, I was just, I just kind of grew up with this talent. God would take a natural talent and turn it into a supernatural talent. Now, I'm not saying that that's what he does all the time, that that's policy and procedures for the kingdom of God. But what I'm saying to you, though, is maybe there needs to be some consideration. If you can't sing a note in a bucket, I don't know about being a worship leader. That's a joke, folks. Come on, lighten up a little bit. You know, Richie and I went out to a, a, a worship conference, you know, and, uh, and it was great. It, it, they had little workshops during the day. And one of the workshops was called this. And I'm not lying to you. This is God's honest truth. The workshop was called, If God Gave You That Song, Why Is It So Bad? <laughs> Oh, God gave me this song. Really? You don't want to say anything because they said God, so you just say, okay. You don't know how to respond. God gave me this message. And when you leave, you feel like you've just been beat up, ran over the coals, but God gave it to you, so you can't question it. I don't know. No, God can take someone like David Wilkerson. How many of you know that name, David? Oh, I certainly do. He was a farmer. And ended up going into one of the most brutal city, inner cities in New York City and started Teen Challenge. So I'm not saying that, that, that that's the norm. But what I'm saying is maybe it's consideration. If, you have a, if you're gifted in an area, you see God using it, then let him perfect it to it almost becomes supernatural. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great theologian, he wrote a book called Lecture to My Students. Lectures to My Students. In one of those chapters, he was talking about the minister's voice and how that with a lot of men, of course, back in those days, it sort of was men-oriented, but a lot of men had what they call a minister's voice. And it just didn't mean that they were strong or maybe they were great in oratory, but it meant that they were conscious of how they could talk to somebody on the front row. And at the same time, it's projecting in the back, they, were, they had a minister's voice. And he went off to say some are gifted that way, you know, naturally, but it becomes supernatural. So you talk, you look, but then on the other, you had, you had somebody like George Whitfield, who was five foot nothing, you could barely hear him. But yet when he would teach, city blocks could hear him. When he was dying, literally, they tied him to a post right here in Philadelphia, near the old city. As he preached, it was said that they could hear him for blocks. Supernatural. Anyway. I don't think God is looking for perfection, just a willingness for him to perfect. Amen, guys? You know what? Again, too, I think if God, in the New Testament, he's not looking for physical perfection, but he is looking for spiritual maturity. That is one thing that I need to say this morning. You know, I've met so many throughout the years, people saying they're in the ministry, but when you sit with them, you think, how immature can you get? Easily offended. You can't be easily offended in the ministry. Are you kidding me? You got to have sometimes just a tough hide, if that makes any sense. And and you just you, you can't be weak where you just want to quit and give up. You know, it, like Paul would say, "Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel of Christ." But he's got to be a man above reproach. Whether you call yourself a servant, a saint, an overseer, a deacon. Or fill in the spot. 
Let's go into chapter 22, see how far we can get. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy thing of the children of Israel, and that they profane not my holy name in those things which they hallowed unto me. I am the Lord. Say unto them that whosoever he be of all your descendants among your generation that goeth unto the holy things which the children of Israel hallowed unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, oh, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. You can see that God takes this kind of serious. He's not talking to the nation. He's talking to the tribe of Levi. He's talking to the priesthood. He's talking specifically to the high priest and to those four particular families I mentioned last week. And what he's saying here, man, is you've got to be very, very... Listen, folks, you please, I can have your eyes. That you need to be very careful of the sacred things. Well, why? Well, they don't belong to you, number one. The sacred things don't belong to you. You know, I don't never, never, and will I ever claim ownership of this church. It's not my church. Jesus paid for this church by, with his blood. I'm just like you, just a servant of the Lord, and my calling is this. But what I handle... I consider very sacred. Now listen, this isn't doctrine, so don't start putting it in your book of doctrines or theology. But there are some things that God has kind of revealed to me on a personal level. That there are some things that are hallowed in my life, my life. Like the Word of God. I've mentioned this so many times and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of boring you with it. But the Bible scares me. It doesn't scare me where I'm afraid to pick it up and read it. It's, it's my breath. But sometimes I think, God, have I mishandled it? Have I used it in a wrong way? Did I beat up your sheep with it today? Because that's not what the word was for. You know, Lord, have I misinterpreted something? Am I prideful with it? You know, when I think of Moses and he's approaching that bush, that burning bush... You know, the reason God told him, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, wasn't because supernaturally there was a bush burning. It was because he was receiving the word of God, the Ten Commandments. That's what made that place holy. John Michael is a dear friend of mine, way back, pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Arizona. As he's teaching IBS, he goes, brothers, don't ever try to teach IBS without at least five to ten minutes in prayer by yourself. Tell your students before they even make one outline to pray. Because this, this word is alive. It's living. It's quick. It's powerful. It's supernatural. It's hallowed. I prayed at, paid a price. It belongs to you. So it, not just the Bible, but where I read it becomes sacred to me sometimes. This is sacred to me. Some people have accused me of just kind of overdoing it. But I, I, I don't know. You know some, maybe it's safe to overdo it. But you didn't come here to be abused. Or violated. That's why when, when I see a distraction, I ask the ushers, jump on that right away. Do not procrastinate. People come here to learn the word. They come to minister to the Lord through their prayer, prayers and worship. Some of you have come here for healing. you got internal things going on. And you know that only God can heal that. Amen? So why, as your pastor, would I let anyone just walk in here... And disrupt the service. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes we want to put our brains on the shelf. Oh, you're not a loving church. You don't let little Johnny run around the aisles. No, little Johnny can go down to the nursery. Or down to... If you have a little Johnny, forgive me. I'm not picking on your kid. Um, But you know, that's why we have a Sunday school. And and we're not going to let anybody come in here with a tambourine or a trumpet to blow it in the... It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let anybody come in here and abuse you or rip you off or make merchandise. My heart grieves today about that. Do our best to protect you. Amen? And then it's your job to protect your little ones. It just goes down the line. You know what I see here where he's just talking about this idea of being careful, not bringing shame to his name, that holy name. You know how you can take the name of God in vain, folks, just by making it common. 
Please be careful of that. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That means devoid of meaning and reason. We're not to do that. That when we sit around in group talk, fellowship, and we're talking about the name of Jesus, don't start making jokes about it. There's other things we can joke about. I'm all about humor. I love laughing. But not when it comes to the name of Jesus. A name that's above all names. A name that's given among men, you and me. No other name given under heaven where someone can get saved. So why would we joke about it? Now, I'm not saying become real religious and legalistic about it. I get that. But there's, again, personally, there's some things that have been, become sacred to me. And that's that name. And again, he's talking about, you know, so serious that if you do for them, they will be cut out or cut off from his presence. <clears throat> you guys with me this morning? Take a deep breath, relax. Verse 4. What man soever of the seed of, of Aaron is a leper or has a running issue, he shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. Whosoever touches anything that is unclean uh, by the dead or a man <clears throat> that it, by... A man whose seed goeth from him, whosoever touches any creeping thing whereby he he may or may be made clean, or a man to, of whom he may take uncleanness, whatsoever uncleanness he hath, the soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until evening, shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. When the sun is down, he shall be clean and shall afterwards eat of the holy things because it is his food. Now remember the context of this. He's just talking to the priest. That which dieth of itself or is torn with beast, Harry's paraphrase would be roadkill. He shall not eat to defile himself wherewith I am the Lord. And again, just as a reminder, what, what is being said here is the private life of the priest also has to match his public life. And uh, we just see that if he touches anything, no, no, I get it. Ceremonially, there's got to be this thing that, you know, if you're going to handle those sacred things, even the instruments, well, then you've got to have clean hands. I'm talking spiritually. Um. But I think God also had a way of keeping his children safe. You're going through the wilderness and he gives that dietary law. Well, if you see some of the things that God said, I don't want you eating this. Well, it makes sense where they were. Eat that and you're not going to be doing too well. And what do we tell our kids? Come on, especially you paranoid moms. Go wash your hands. That was nasty. You know. I remember one time we were at the zoo. When one of my kids, I won't mention them, just save face there, but we're standing there and I hear Irma saying, what are you chewing? And uh, she puts out her hand, you spit that to me, give me that. Well, she spits out a bug and its legs were still moving. And the thing I heard Irma go, oh, that's nasty. Go wash your mouth. You know, <laughs> we do that. Because we just know the, the possibility of carrying germs. And we tell our kids, go wash. Well, you know, sometimes that's what, exactly what the Lord does. Go wash. You want to minister to me? Go wash. You want to minister for me? You got to go wash that off. And we know that ceremonially that, that doesn't cut it. You can bathe yourself in whatever they call that water. The only thing that's going to wash you is the blood of the lamb and the washing of the water of the word of God. You want to be cleansed today, gang? If it's a sin issue, take it before the Lord and just say, God, I'm first Johnning it. <laughs> wash me, cleanse me. He's faithful and just to cleanse. But there are times that God just cleanses us just by the daily reading of his word, the washing of the water of the word. Um. Look at verse 9. 
He says, they shall therefore keep my ordinance or my instructions, the ideas very carefully, unless they bear sin for it and die there. Therefore, if they profane it, I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Divine chastisement, that's what the rabbis call it. You do right or you may die. You look at, you look at Levit- Leviticus chapter 10 with Nadab and Abihu. Look at Numbers chapter 16 with Korah and, her, and the company there. Eli, pardon me, I don't know why I'm losing my voice, but Eli with his two sons disobeyed God because they didn't believe in God. <clears throat> that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, they, that's before grace, you know, but I don't think it was eternal condemnation or damnation that was brought on. I really don't, and you're welcome to your opinions. And just like in the New Testament, when we see those there's strict warnings, stringent warnings with Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think they went to hell. But again, that's my opinion. I think what God did, because you're going you're gonna to tell me that there was only one or two people that has ever lied to the Holy Spirit. And if God is not a respecter of a person, then why doesn't there be a lot of people? I'd be saying, okay, carry them out, <laughs> you know. No, it, it was a warning. It was a warning to the early church. And it's still a warning to us. You have the warning in, in Corinthians where it says, when you come to the communion table, be careful. Because if you take it in an unworthy manner, you're, t- you're taking damnation unto yourself. And some of you have died and even fallen asleep as a result of the way you're taking communion. Now, come on. We've all taken communion when our hearts weren't right. It's a warning. It's a warning. When, when Paul the Apostle told the church in Corinth, the man who committed that immoral act, he said, kick them out, get rid of them. Let the, turn, their, turn their flesh over to Satan for the destruction of their faith or destruction of their flesh that they might find salvation and repentance. You know, it's, again, I just, I really believe it was just, it was warning. It was, a, it was an act of divine mercy that God would do that. It was, it was warning signs for them, just like they're warning signs to me. I mean, what do you do when you hear that teaching on Ananias and Sapphira? Isn't there something that stirs in your heart going, wait a minute. Oh, Lord, help me. I never want to lie to you. Or when some immoral thought comes to your mind, doesn't that cause you to take it to the cross and ask for forgiveness? Sure it does. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, There shall no stranger eat the holy thing, a sojourner of a priest, of the priest, or a hireling servant, hired servant, shall not eat of the holy thing. Why not? Why is it just the high priest? Well, what he's saying here is no outsiders. It don't belong to them. That's, it's just not the way it falls out. They don't belong. And you know what, guys? Again, if you don't mind, if I fast forward this into the New Testament, there are some things the outsider cannot partake of that you and I have the privilege of doing, and that is communion. You know, years ago, and I'm going way back, um, our very first men's retreat up in the Poconos somewhere, and I asked a good friend of mine, Jerry Paradise, to come do the teaching with Mark Carlson, a Calvary Chapel pastor from um, California. And it was one of those uh, men's retreats where there was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Man, there was just... But I remember as Jerry is leading us in communion, he's holding these elements. And when he was encouraging us to, to take it, he goes, wait a minute. I'm sorry. If you're not a believer, if you're not born again... I'm going to ask you not to take it because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the church. And that's what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. It doesn't belong to you. You're not discerning the Lord's body. You're doing more harm than good. So it's an act of divine mercy to even warn a person, listen, I get it, you might have even been taught by the traditions of man how to do this, but are you born again? Does the Holy Spirit have your heart? Is it, does it, is it yours? I remember a good friend of mine, Rick, he came up to me before we actually partook, and he's shaking. This is a guy over six foot, two-time world champion kickboxer. I mean, this guy was rugged, and he's shaking like a little kid, and he's going, 
I, I don't think I could take this. And I go, really? Why? He goes, I know it doesn't belong to me. And I go, do you want it to, Rick? And he goes, yes, in the worst way. And I said, well, come here. Come and t- let's go to the side for a minute. And I said, Rick, just ask him to come into your heart to forgive you. And he's just crying. And I said, come on, brother, let's go. Let's go take communion together. I've never seen such a delightful person take communion before. Some things just don't belong to the world. It belongs to you and I. But don't receive that pridefully. Because there was a great price that was paid so that you and I could take it. The shedding of his blood. Brutal death. He goes on in verse 12. Well, verse 10, let me finish with verse 10. He goes, no stranger shall eat, no stranger. Verse 11, but if the, the priest buys a soul, any soul with his money, he's talking about buying a slave, he shall eat of it, and he that is born in his house, well, they shall eat of his meat. Now, before you cop an attitude about slavery, oh my goodness, I didn't know God condoned slavery in Bible. This is, well, listen, just so you know, what we, what we read in history, you know, you know, God never condoned that kind of slavery. But in the Old Testament, and went all the way into the New Testament, that this was God's welfare program. The way it would work is you could just be a normal family and somehow you hit dire straits and you just fall into financial hardship. And man, you can't pay your mortgage. Now I'm paraphrasing. God made a way for you so you didn't crash. God made a way for you to survive. You would go to a wealthy family. Then you would say, listen, I, I am in a bad way right now. Uh, so would you take me on as a slave? And they would bring you in. And you would work for six years, but all that money went to pay your debt. Now, he would, he would benefit as well because you're doing the work for him. But you get to pay off your debt. You worked hard for six years. And then in the seventh year... Some call it that year of jubilation. There's all kinds of things that tie in with that. But that seventh year, you could decide to say, you know what? My debt's paid off. Man, I appreciate it so much. And I'll catch you on the rebound. And departing happened, you see? Or you could become what we call a doulo slave. I love my family. I'm going to stay here. I just, I want to stay. I want to remain as your servant. But you know what I like about this? And I love teaching this. Now, listen, please don't get mad at me. You know, the way we see welfare system working today is doing our, our world more harm than good. It's free money. It's just a free check. Now, I get that for handicapped people, and I get that where somebody that really needs help. Don't get me wrong. But to abuse the system and just because you don't want to work and you just want free money, God is against that. In fact, if you go through the book of Proverbs... You find a lot about the slothful man. Stupid excuses like I can't go to work because there's a lion in the street. There's no lion in the street. Now, some of us come from a generation. You didn't go and ask your dad for five bucks. You worked. There's nothing wrong with physical work. But there's a lot wrong with laziness. You want to know why? Because laziness grows. And what you're developing by just handing out free money is when, they're, when you're not around any longer, they're going to continue to look for a handout. And when they can't get it, they'll take it another way. Am I making sense? And before you know it, you got a little criminal on your hands, and it all stemmed back because you wouldn't make little, little Timmy work for his, his $2 an hour or $2, whatever. We, I see a lot of strange-looking faces right now. But you get my point? Amen, guys? All right. Oh, Harry, you're in trouble. Okay. I didn't say you had to agree with me, right? Um, But if you don't, you're wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, Look at verse um, uh, verse 12. And if the, the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger, she may not eat of an, uh, the offering of the holy thing. In other words, nothing wrong with that. She's just, she's kind of moved herself outside of that position. And uh, that's the choice she has made. But if the priest's daughter be a widow, divorced, have no children, is returned to her father's house, as in her youth 
she may eat of her father's meat. Remember, this is the high priest. But there shall be no stranger eat thereof. It does not belong to them. If a man eat of the holy thing and unwittingly, in other words, without any knowledge, then he shall put a, a fifth part thereof, around 20%, shall give it unto the priest as a holy thing. They shall not profane, not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord. Now, that's my old king. Do you really want to know how that's interpreted? It literally means that the priest must not allow. Another, he is responsible for what they do. The priest is. Now, he, he's not going to be held responsible if he's taught and shown and was exhibited of all that. But if he doesn't do anything like Eli and just allowed his sons to do whatever he, they wanted then he would be the one held accountable for that. Again, I, th- I take what I do very serious, folks. I-, I know that to those that have been given, much will be required. And he's talking about pastors. Now, I don't know how all that works. I'll be honest with you. I really don't. Because I know I'm not going to be judged for my sin. I don't know how that all works. I just know there's even a judgment of the nation. So what person of the nation has to stand before God? Is it just a leader? There's some things in the Bible we just don't understand. But I know this, and it's very sobering to me. That's why I take what I do very serious. I got to stand before God for this. And maybe if sheep, not of this flock, but of this fold, but others, they'd be a little bit more lighter on their pastor. Oh, that was a heavy message. Oh, that... Well, maybe that was on his heart to share. Does that make sense, guys? Oh, I didn't like what he had to say today. Well, it's just what God has laid on their hearts, and maybe that's what God has for you. Verse 16 says, We suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass. They're not going to let unauthorized people harm them. That this to me, this little area, as I said earlier, is a sacred place. I got this little invisible circle around me. You don't see people coming up here just because they want to come and teach. My buddy, Gil Trusty. I trust Trusty. He can have the pulpit anytime. Richie, my elders. Now, something happened not too long ago. Still bugs me because I let something happen. Just caught me off guard. Won't ever happen again, I guarantee you. But I try to do my best protecting the flock that God has given us here. You don't have to worry about that. Nobody's going to come in here and teach you you can be demon-possessed. You know that? Nobody's going to come and make merchandise out of you. And I mean, nobody's going to make you feel like you've got to join a church. Do you know there's no such thing as church membership in the Bible? Well, why on earth do we do, do churches depend on, church, you know, membership? It's not even in the Bible. Gee, Louise, there you go. I've I got to meet this Louise woman. Um, he says, when they eat their holy thing, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And I think verse 17 is a good place to stop. This is the, the Lord spoke unto Moses. So let's wait next week to what he had to say. <laughs> Greg, would you make your way out, guy? I love you guys. I really do. I, I, I sometimes, I like can't believe it. I even tell Erm this every now and then. I said, Erm, do you, do you believe that God allows me to do this? It's unbelievable God, that God would allow us to do what we do for the kingdom. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're helping out in the nursery, if, you, if you're a greeter, do you believe God allows us to do this for, uh, for the king? I mean, what have we ever done to deserve it? I mean, did you go off to some kind of seminary and get some kind of doctorate degree? And I, you know what? I, I got a, a, a degree. It's called a bachelor's of science. It's a BS degree. Oh, no, that don't sound right. Never mind. Oh, sorry, forgive me. It's, but it is a Bachelor of Science in Biblical Study. I want to hang it up and put underneath of it, what meaneth this? <laughs> honest, honest to goodness, I do. You know, because, you know, just like you, you get up in the morning and you just depend on God's grace and his strength to carry you out through the, throughout the day. And we get to serve him. Amen, guys? Would you stand with me?
You know, I just, I don't know, you know, sometimes I'm heavy, sometimes I'm light. I said that already, but I know sometimes the word of God can come and we start to chew on it. Spiritually speaking, of course, we're chewing on it and it's so sweet to the taste. And we think if we keep going with it, it's just going to become, you know, those Almond Joy bars. How many of you guys like those Almond Joy? Aren't they the best? Oh, they're sinful. Anyway. And, uh, but all of a sudden, instead of tasting the coconut and the almond, it starts to become really bitter. You know why it becomes bitter? What's the Holy Spirit dealing with you about it? And he, wants, he, he wants you to get washed. Either by the blood, which is asking for forgiveness, or by the water of the word, daily reading. But listen, don't. Go, don't leave. Will you please do me a favor? Don't just go out the way you came in. Don't, don't let the enemy say, no, you can deal with that next week. You deal with it this week. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, listen, man, you, you've got a gambling problem. You never know when our soul is going to be required. There'll be people up front here, our prayer team. Just make your way down here and grab someone saying, you know what? I just got to pray about this. I need to be washed. I need to get saved. Let me pray for you as I let Greg end us out. Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, again, just I get to do this and it just feels so right. It's right because... You don't have to feel like a phony around here. You can come just as you are without a plea. I thank you for that, Lord. It's so liberating that we can tell you, Lord, I have sinned. I have fallen short. I need to be restored or I need to be washed. David had a heart where he would ask you to examine him. Search me, O God, and see if there's any uncleanness, any wickedness. So, Lord, I'm asking you today, from the top to the bottom, examine us. We want to leave different than the way we came. If there's anyone here that just needs a a healing touch, put your healing hand upon them. I don't just mean physically, Lord. That's... That's so shallow. So many of us need a touch, even emotionally, Lord. We got things that are haunting us from our past and just won't let us go. Lord, I remember you just speaking your word and demons fled. You spoke your word and people were healed. You spoke your word. People were set free. And then you would say, and go sin no more. So, Lord, whoever this person is, or how many people there are, speak your word to their hearts. Dismiss it by the power, the blood of Christ, grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's worship.